Hi, you're listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host in New Orleans by mouth, Chef Amy Sens. And here in the studio with me today, I have Miss Danielle Nierberg with a food tank. And I have to tell y'all, uh, you know, the big joke, Danielle, is that, oh, this is my new Facebook friend that I had <laughs> on the show. But I can say that I met this girl in the quarter yep, on the street at your house. Stoop. <laughs> so thanks for having me. Well, I am so glad to have you. She is with Food Tank. And uh, you know, something that I am personally passionate about is food mm-hmm. and making sure that everyone has access to food. Absolutely. And that we're we are eating the right food. And I I am absolutely guilty for not eating the right food all the time. Right. But um, also not wasting food because so many times we get on these kicks where we go to the grocery because we have great intentions for the week. Right. And then it just doesn't work out. No, I'm guilty of it, too. And I think that's one of the reasons Food Tank, when we started six years ago, we really tried to make food waste and food loss one of our big um, you know, issue areas because it's such a problem, but it's something that's also all of us can do something about. And that's what's kind of exciting to me um, about, you know, helping create awareness about it. And so, yeah, there's so many things people can do that they just don't realize, like, you know, buying less, buying more often so that you're not wasting food, learning how to freeze and can and preserve foods is so exciting. Um, And then for people who are just, you know, looking to to you know improve their lives you know finding ways to work with organizations that donate or rescue food we've worked a lot with the food recovery network which is um a, you know universities all over the country are are mobilizing students to recover food from their cafeterias and university events or in the communities and then help distribute that to homeless shelters or senior citizen centers or other outlets where the food can really be utilized. So it's been fun to sort of track what what those those kinds of organizations are doing. Well, you know, you said food waste, but you also said food loss. So what is the difference between those two things? So food loss is really what happens um, on the farm and during transportation and distribution. So it's, it's what's left in the field. It's what's lost during transport or storage. Sometimes there aren't great storage facilities, you know, especially in sub-Saharan Africa or Latin America, where I've spent a lot of time. And, you know, food gets wasted. It it gets eaten by pests or it gets moldy. So helping farmers find ways to prevent that, that that waste that happens during storage is really important. And if you look at places like Sub-Saharan Africa, we're talking about infrastructure that's kind of really simple, just better designed storage um, uh, facilities that are made with local materials or even things like roads. If you have better roads, you know. <laughs> it's not bouncing around in the right, back of the truck right. as much. Farmers can really get their, their food to market and make the money that they need to. Now, you know, when we're, we're talking about all around the world, and we know uh, uh, so many times with disaster relief efforts that we do and all the things that we focus on on getting food to people in need, Usually we're like, it's a time of crisis. We need to do this. And we're not thinking that people, not just around the world, but also here at home, are hungry every day. Yeah, it's always a crisis, right? And we're not realizing that because it's not necessarily in that moment Mm -hmm. on the news where we're thinking about it. Right. So whenever we're talking about, you know, food crisis around the world, where are some of the places that we go these are places that we need to help, we need to focus on, and 
and really change. I mean, well, you mentioned the United States. We have 54 million people here who go hungry every day. It doesn't mean they're starving, right? But it means that they lack access to food. And so I always think the best place to start, you know, doing stuff is at home. There are so many organizations like Second Harvest here in New Orleans or Feeding America nationwide that are really trying to help uh, folks get access to affordable food or, you know, sometimes free food. But when you're talking about the rest of the world, you know, I've had this incredible opportunity to travel all over, you know, 70 plus countries at this point and see so many incredible things, but also see a lot of people struggling. And you go to places like Niger in sub-Saharan Africa, and that's a place that's always been struggling, that, you know, so many people are going hungry. They're, they're really hit by drought and other extreme weather conditions. And, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity there. And then when you look at other parts of sub-Saharan Africa, conflict and disease or like in Congo right now, the Ebola crisis is really taking a hit. And we don't think about, you were talking about crises. People go hungry during these, these sorts of yes. events. You know, it's not just... It's not just a war or, you know, this medical emergency. It's also people really, you can't get food in. You can't, you know, sell food. It's it's a real problem. So just being aware of, you know, what's going on in the world. These are not things that are on the nightly news. We're not even hearing about Ebola that much right now. And, and you know, I agree with that in no matter what's happening, whether it's a conflict, a medical crisis, um, bad weather, right? Uh, it does affect that access to food. And, you know, as a community, there are certain things that you want your people to have. You want them to have air, clean air. Right. You want them to have water, right. clean water, food, and shelter. Absolutely. And when one of those things are impacted, I feel like all of them It's like are a domino impacted. effect. And I mean, these are people who are sort of living on the edge anyway. You know, it's they're, they're one bad harvest away from, you know, their whole lives falling apart. So building that sort of um, institutional infrastructure that can prevent these crises from happening in the first place is really important. Unfortunately, you know, our own government has problems with this. So governments all over the world have a lot of, of issues with trying to build that infrastructure and build safety nets that, that people um, have so that when, when a crisis does happen, they're not sort of left on their own. So how is Food Tank impacting these areas? Like, what are you all doing or just telling us about it so that we can know or is are there other steps or networks yeah. that you're working with so we have you know we're our name food tank we're, we're a think tank and what we've tried to do is really become a platform for what we call the good food movement all over the world and shine a spotlight on individuals and organizations who are doing incredible work and then linking people to them so we have 40 plus partners all over the world um, we convene events so that people can get to know these uh, amazing organizations and ask them questions. Uh, and we do try to create awareness where, you know, we, we have a news website. So we're publishing original articles daily on our website so that people can, you know, feel inspired and motivated. We're not just telling the bad news. We're trying to tell the good news. And, you know, I, I love when you said we want to motivate and inspire. And that was something that I noticed when I was going through your website and looking is that, yeah, we have all these problems, but good people are doing good mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. And we every little bit makes a difference. Absolutely. And one person or 100 people, that maximizes mm-hmm. how big of an impact that mm-hmm. we can have. So many times I'll hear people say, oh, well, you know, I'd love to help out with that. But they, they don't really know 
what to do or how to do anything. Right. So what can the average person do? Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that people can do. One thing that we, we, we put together with the James Beard Foundation a few years ago is the Good Food Org Guide, which is available on our website at foodtank.com. And it gives people... Um, resources in their own states and also nationally. So if you're interested in food waste, there's an organization you can reach out to and you can volunteer or donate money or, you know, learn more about what they're doing. Or if you're interested in access and affordability, we list organizations that are working on those issues. So being able to get involved. I mean, I think the first step for almost everyone is just educating yourself, realizing that you, you see there's a problem and then educating yourself about it or writing your local school board or writing, you know, your congressperson, and then getting involved. I mean, I think so many of us just sort of, oh, I can't do anything about that, like you said, but you can. You can get involved in your own community. I think it has to always start locally. And it, it can be so overwhelming. I can only imagine with you traveling to so many countries and visiting all over the world, you know, I just think about what happens here in our New Orleans community mm-hmm. and knowing that there are children that go to school yeah. without having lunch or breakfast. Right. They may get lunch at school, but they may not have dinner. Yeah. And you go, oh, my gosh, this that's just my town. Right. And you can almost get paralyzed by how Absolutely. overwhelming it is. So how... How do we get past that and really start to create change? Well, I mean, I think it's realizing that, you know, we're we're not, you know, we're, we're so individualistic and we just think about ourselves and it's just trying to remember that we're part of a global community and we're all in this together. If people are hungry, that doesn't bode well for anyone. It creates conflict. It creates lots of, um, you know, financial problems for cities. We have to all work together to solve these problems. And I think knowing that, like what inspires me every day is I get to meet so many young people, people who are in their teens and early 20s who are doing incredible work to change all the problems that we we created for them. And that's what always keeps me inspired. I've met, you know, incredible youth all over the world who are just doing amazing things. And just to share one story with you, because and I, I was like, totally yeah. going to be like, tell me some stories so, of people. Yeah. About <laughs> 10 years ago, I met this young man named Eddie Mukibi in Uganda, and he had started this organization um, uh, developing innovations in school cultivation is what he called it. It was Project DISC. And what he was doing is working with schools all over Uganda, from the like, nursery schools to high school students, and teaching them how to um, appreciate the foods that are indigenous to their communities and indigenous to the country of Uganda, because those foods are often looked down upon. They're considered poor people's foods, or you don't want to eat that. That's, you know, you want to eat the, the new food and the, you know, fast food or ex- imported food. And he's re- like teaching people not just how to grow and how to cook, but how to like taste that food and realize how it's an important part of your culture. And so watching him become this kind of international superstar. So he started in Uganda and now he's the vice president of Slow Food International. And just watching, like, this young man who I knew 10 years ago become this agronomist, you know, who's texting, you know, farming tips to farmers all over uh, Eastern Africa. It's just amazing to watch. And he's such an inspiration. And he really shows how that next generation can can create the change that needs to happen. So I, like, want to tear up whenever I talk about him because I love him so much. And he comes to New Orleans all the time to visit Richard McCarthy. So it's, like, such a... He, you know, it's so great to have him, you know, local sometimes and, and to hear all the incredible things he's doing. And, you know, I love to hear that because I feel like 
the that positive story really reinforces and gets people excited. Oh, yeah. And, you know, to hear that you've, well, you've had the opportunity to watch that career happen. Yeah, I know. Which is exciting to see people grow up in the community right. of food and where they were when you first meet them to where right. they are now. Are there other people, you know, farmers who are changing things or leading yeah. their community? What tell I, us about some of these I people? Just spent the weekend um, with Paul Willis, who found, founded Nyman Ranch Pork Company in Iowa, and I've known Paul since 2003, and basically been stalking him ever since. And he's become a good friend, and I have a huge crush on him. Um, <laughs> and he's, you know, he's you heard an, it here first. <laughs> I tell him all the time. He's an Iowa pig farmer who just decided that he, when he was watching what was what was happening in his community that big CAFOs or confined animal feeding operations, factory farms were taking over. He's like, no, we're not doing this. And this was in the, you know, late eighties, early nineties. And then he met Bill Nyman, who at that time was just raising cattle, you know, grass-fed cattle um, for sale. And they decided to combine forces. And now Nyman has become this incredible uh, uh, company with working with over 740 small family farmers all, all over the country and really changing the way pork production is done and getting a lot of attention for it, you know, from bigger companies like Purdue and others. So he's just like an incredible guy. And I've... You know, again, knowing him since 2003 when I was like a baby and watching him become like this another international superstar. He speaks all over and, and just watching how he's really changed lives. I went to their hog farmer appreciation dinner last year in um, Iowa and just watching all these farmers who are doing incredible work and are so humble about it. And getting, you know, to visit their farms and know about their operations. And, you know, they're all trying to do the right thing in the face of low prices for, for pork right now, weird tariffs that are really affecting, you know, agriculture. And they're they're thriving. And it's been incredible to watch. And you, you just said do the right thing. And that was what my head was saying as you were, you were talking is that there's something that kind of magically happens when you're doing the right thing, like, Things start to fall in place, right. and it, we just need to know what the right thing is, right? And right. then, and then we can go there. You know, as you're, I, I think you said you were working in South America or Central America. Um, are you seeing different? food challenges in different parts of the world, or is it kind of a universal, everybody's having the same problem? I mean, I think climate is affecting farmers everywhere, wherever, what if you're talking about Latin America, or if you're talking about Sub-Saharan Africa, or if you're talking about here, and like, that's kind of the overarching thing we're seeing right now that, you know, farmers are like, the weather, I can't, I don't know when to, to plant or harvest, or, you know, just them noticing that, you know, the drought lasted much longer than it, you know, did years ago, and I think, you know, that's something that that's, you know, we're seeing more and more of, and farmers don't know how to deal with it. One thing that I have been inspired by, though, is how, uh, you know, so much of what's been happening in the global south or the developing world, those are farmers who've been dealing with climate change for a long time. And I think there's a real opportunity for farmers in, you know, the global north or the United States to really look and listen to what those farmers have been doing and, and you know, know that sometimes you're going to have to change farming practices or you're going to have to change what you grow or raise and understand that there are opportunities there and it's not just, you know, um, this is something that's problematic. And, you know, what I think is really exciting is the ability to share information. Mm -hmm. And so many times uh, before we maybe if we're in our own little world and we're focused on our own situation, we overcome obstacles, mm -hmm. but we don't 
teach others right. how we <laughs> right. overcame these obstacles. <laughs> and there's something about that data exchange that can make a tremendous impact because you can also be proactive Absolutely. and not so reactive. Absolutely. We're constantly reinventing the wheel. I mean, as somebody who works in the nonprofit world who didn't have any experience, you know, I was a writer and a researcher before I started this. You know, I've learned so much stuff on the fly that I've tried to share with, you know, other people I know. I know as a chef, you make a ton of mistakes until you learn how to do things better and you want to share those techniques with others. I don't know why we don't do it more in sort of the agricultural development community. Like, we need to learn from one another. I think there's been a lot of competitiveness and farmers feel competitive because they've been made to feel that way by governments. And so knowing that, you know, again, we're all in this together. We can all solve these problems. And, you know, I'm not going to take, you know, your, your consumer base away, but we can, you know, learn from one another. And the base is big. We just oh, need gosh. to be able to reach it and get the Absolutely. right product to them. Now, y'all are doing uh, trainings and forums. And we do a lot of events. Yes. We try to convene people. One of the things that we've been focusing on, we didn't realize sort of how one of our strengths was convening really different points of view. So we've had, you know, Monsanto executives on the same stage with food justice advocates. We've had, you know, big um, fruit growers uh, on the same stage with labor unions. So bringing those very sort of different viewpoints together and getting people to have really honest conversations um, in a in a you know a really safe environment and share that those conversations with our, our our members and our platform has been really exciting and people are very open to it you know we we uh, recently had a event in in uh, San Francisco with Chef Alice Waters and sold out 750 seats you know people are, are craving this kind of information and craving you know learning from different chefs and you know talking about uh, you know, um, disparities in the food system, how women are treated, how people of color are treated, and having really frank and honest conversations about it. So we, we've been delighted, really thrilled to see how, how much interest there is in having those, those kinds of dialogues. Do you find that when you bring these groups together, there's this aha moment where they go, oh, well, we kind of all want to do the same thing. Absolutely. We're just doing it differently. Absolutely. You realize that people are people because I think each side demonizes the other so much that you, you're like, oh, I do agree with you on that. And you see sort of, it's not like an aha moment. You see people look really puzzled. They're like, oh, gosh, we do agree. And I think that's <laughs> the funny part, you know, especially when you see young, like a, a food justice advocate, for example, who's like in her 20s, like realize when she's talking to some white guy who's, you know, heading a, a, a global agribusiness uh, corporation that, oh, you're just a guy and I'm just, you know, uh, a woman trying to work on these issues and, and we do agree. So and not everyone's going to agree on anything, you know, everything all the time. That's not the point. But it's it's coming, finding that common ground and realizing that there's more nuance, that not everything's black and white, you know. Well, what are the, you know, the big hopes and that, the, you know, the the successes that you see on the horizon in the coming years? So one of the things that we're trying to do, you know, chefs have always been an important part of, of the work we do, obviously farmers. One of the things that we're trying to do is really reach out to 
um, the arts community and bring them into this conversation because you have so many dancers and fitness people and others who are involved, you know, on Broadway. We do a lot of events in New York. So we're coming out with um, a musical next year that talks about food and climate change. So I think that's really exciting and something sort of unexpected from a nonprofit group that, you know, we mostly, you know, do research and write books and put out reports and trying to bring in different communities to this. Um, it gets back to that idea of like, how do you create access to not only, you know, food, but information? How do you reach people who you otherwise would not be able to reach? So I, I think it's really exciting that we get to do this stuff and experiment. You know, nobody's kind of doing the stuff that we do. Well, and that's, it's fun, you know, to think outside of the box a little and to say, how can we access people in a way that they're comfortable? Right. Absolutely. That's one of the things that's been very important to us from the beginning. How do you make people comfortable with this this information? And it's telling stories that are hopeful. It's meeting them where they already are. So if they only read social media, having a really robust social media program, if they only read articles or if they only read op-eds or if they only watch videos. So we try to reach people in as many places as we can so that they they do feel comfortable and they do feel like they, they are part of the conversation that we're not talking down to them. And you know, it, it kind of makes me giggle a little bit whenever you said we're doing a musical. One, A, I love musicals. But two, I was talking to a friend of mine today who's a chef, and he had a challenging situation where he was frustrated with how the people were interacting. Mm. And his um, his kind of side thing is he throws his soul into music. Nice. And I said, can you use this? As an inspiration right. to your music, because you start to realize that everyone's outlet is very different. Right. But sometimes that's how you communicate. And if we look back before we had, you know, newsprint, you right, know, right. and things like that, people were acting out the stories. They were telling the stories and Absolutely. sharing them. And so it's kind of like we've. We've gone this, we've now gone this full circle. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's something like you see a lot in Sub-Saharan Africa where people act out in plays or dance the things that their communities are struggling with. So I've seen so many amazing dance productions on climate change or like a drought or whatever that community is facing and seeing it sort of acted out is incredible. So why don't we do more of that? Well, when is this musical coming? June 11th, 2020. June 11th, 2020. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So we'll keep everybody up to date on that. So what else do we need to know? Oh, God. I mean, I think, what you know, what most people are facing is what you mentioned before. They feel overwhelmed. They're inundated with bad news all the time. So I think it's knowing that you can make a difference. And so, you know, I mentioned our Good Food Org guide before. That's one thing. If you're looking for resources, please check it out at foodtank.com. In our in our in our uh, research and in our articles, we always try to give people sort of an action item. So if it's a policy thing, if you're interested in policy about food waste, or if you're confused by expiration and use by um, labels on your food, there's a lot of of Congress members who are working on this those issues. So write Shelley Pingree, your uh, she's a congresswoman in Maine who's also an organic farmer, but very concerned about food waste. So if that's something that appeals to you, then you know write her. Or if you're interested in just knowing more about, you know, the chefs in your community, we try to provide resources for that. So it's just getting people involved. And, you know, I'm so excited. After looking at uh, at your website and going through everything and seeing all the, like, all the stuff, if you're a total food nerd, 
Like, you could go to town on this website. I'm just saying, I, it's a rabbit hole that I almost jumped down a little <laughs> bit too long the other day. But, you know, I, this I, I just really love the focus on focus on your community and focus on your community as a world. Right. And knowing yeah. that your community goes beyond your city limits. Absolutely. And, uh here in South Louisiana, I think we we totally get that. Just with what we're watching with the Mississippi River, and we're seeing what's happened happening north of here coming down, mm-hmm. and how decisions made by other communities impact communities Absolutely. further down the river. And uh, the more we start to communicate and talk and reach out, we can make a you know we can solve more problems absolutely that way. <laughs> and i think that's you know what we try to do just get people talking to each other and, and learning from each other and listening i think part of this is listening i realized that a long time ago you know i i love to ask questions you know i'm, I'm a food journalist in a in so many ways but sometimes you you learn more by just listening and and sort of letting people express themselves instead of interrogating them you know and i think it's really interesting to see what happens when people are listened to and valued and appreciated. Um, it's really exciting, especially people who've, who've been sort of ignored in the food system. And, and unfortunately, a lot of farmers, they don't feel like their voices are heard. So, you know, being able to amplify the good work that they're doing has been incredible. Well, can you tell our listeners how they can find out more about you, where they can uh, find out about your events and Absolutely. how they can maybe get on a mailing list to find out about the launch sure. of this musical. <laughs> sure. We have a great <laughs> newsletter, which you can sign up for at foodtank.com, or you can email me at danielle at foodtank.com. Well, for my listeners out there, we have been talking to Ms. Danielle Nierberg from Food Tank, and uh, there is so much really interesting stuff and I feel like I could get Danielle on the show probably three more (laughs) times and we still won't hit everything but if you have one last bit of just inspiration that you want to tell everyone something that you're like do you have I think that food is the one thing that brings us all together and especially in these very turbulent political times Find your neighbor, share a meal, you know, have have a, a, a conversation over food, because I think we can all come together if, if we're not if we're, we're sharing, if we're eating together, maybe having a little bit of drink <laughs> and, and really getting to know one another, because I feel like things are so divided right now. Yes. Sit down, communicate, eat and enjoy each other's company. Absolutely. And put your smartphone down, people. Absolutely. <laughs> Unless you're you're visiting the food tank site to, <laughs> to debate uh, <laughs> articles. But you've been listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. My guest today was Ms. Danielle Nierberg with Food Tank. This is your host, Chef Amy Sins. Until next time, ciao.